how you been? Good. Yeah. It's been a, a very interesting week. A very interesting week. Extremely. Okay, well, we're going to get into it. Where are you living? LA, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's nice to be out here, though. It's always nice to be out here. You should it, get a place here. I was thinking about it, but now I'm unemployed, so. <laughs> Bitch. I'm sorry, but shut the fuck up. <laughs> shut the fuck up. I'm unemployed. I'm unemployed. Weren't you just like doing a runway? I saw you were like, did the Hugo, the yeah. boss runway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're not out of work. <laughs> like, let's be clear. <laughs> You're like, I can't move to New York if I don't have a job. I don't have a job anymore. <laughs> oh my God, you're hilarious. I'm sorry, I'm calling bullshit on that. <laughs> Did you have a good time in Paris? Yeah. Actually, I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> Hello and welcome to High Low with Emrata. I hope you had a great weekend. I've been traveling and keeping busy. I was in Paris and then I was in LA. And it's just nice to be back in New York and having a birthday party for Sly, which is really fun. My parents are in town. We've been doing a whole thing. It's a dog-themed birthday. So if you're new to the show, let me just give you a little breakdown of what we do here. Um, This is a show where we marry highbrow topics with lowbrow. We bounce in between. You'll hear us talking about TikTok and dating and then hopefully talking about some interesting political concepts. And I like to marry those two as seamlessly as possible. This is my interview episode. It is where I speak to a guest each week. We release it on Tuesdays. On Thursdays, you get my Emrata Asks episodes. That's a solo episode where I pose a question, investigate it. It's a little bit more personal, tends to be more on the high side, but sometimes it's on the low. You never know. Um, And then there's a subscriber episode entitled Talk Back where I play audio clips from all of you and respond to them. Today, dun, 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 my guest is Law Roach. Law Roach, a brilliant celebrity stylist and self-proclaimed image architect. He began his career as a vintage clothing dealer and then transitioned to styling after his unique style caught the attention of kind of all the important celebrities. Any incredible Zendaya moment you've seen on a carpet, that's La Roach. Ariana Grande, Carrie Washington, Celine Dion, Naomi Campbell, you name it. But last week, he announced his retirement out of nowhere on Instagram after having kind of an incredible couple weeks between Paris Fashion Week. He did Hunter Schaefer's look that basically broke the internet at Vanity Fair, the after party for the Oscars. So I'm so grateful that he wanted to come on this podcast and talk to me about why he decided to retire. And we're going to get into it. So thank you, Law, for coming in. I'm so happy you're here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
welcome back to High Low with Emrata. So my guest today is the one and only Law Roach. Law Roach is a brilliant celebrity stylist and image architect and so much more. I feel like we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, He began his career as a vintage clothing dealer and then transitioned into styling after his unique style caught the attention of celebrity clients. He's worked with everyone, Celine Dion, Zendaya, Ariana Grande, Kerry Washington, you name it. He has been, well, all the good ones, can I say that? (laughs) Not just anyone, but the good ones. He has been recognized for his work with several awards, including the Hollywood Stylist of the Year Award. He's also the founder and CEO of the luxury vintage brand Luxury Law. Please welcome my guest on Hilo, Law Roach. Hi. I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm so grateful to be invited. Oh my God. I was, it was so, when I sat next to you at Loueve in Paris, I was like, oh, this is so serendipitous. I'm so happy. And then, you know, I saw everything last week and I was like, I hope he doesn't cancel on me. <laughs> so yeah, let's start about the beginning because um, I read something that said, church was your first fashion show mm-hmm. and that your grandmother t- treated church like fashion. And I just wanted to hear you talk about that a little bit. Well, I think um, in, in African-American culture, church is really a staple and a centerpiece to our lives. And um, when you growing up and you have one of those old school grandmas, like you're going to go to church on Sunday. And her routine to prep to for Sunday was, was incredible to me. It actually is where I have this infinity and this great love and respect for women because it started on Saturday night and it would be, um, she'll, you know, lay out the dress. She had this, you know, one black dress that she wore to everything. And she'll, like, if the dress needed to be mended a little bit, then she'll do that. And um, then she'll put her shoes, pick the shoes and then, you know, her, her stockings and whatever jewelry she wants to wear. And then it was like, then it was like bath time and putting the rollers in her hair. So I used to watch this and what it made me understand is the art form of being a woman. Mm. And I think it's definitely an art. The presentation mm-hmm. and, and the work that goes that behind works it. Like, boys, we just get up, brush our teeth, wash our face, throw on something and go. And what women do is so intentional, mm. you know? And I think I fell in love with that at a really early age. And and then it was church and then it was everybody else's grandma and aunt and mom and the women with the hats and the, the matching outfits and- So beautiful, yeah. I love those hats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. We grew up with the Kentucky Derby every Sunday. You know what I mean? So, wow. Yeah. So were everyone, were, were grandmas flexing on each other? Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. It's a thing. Wow. It was a thing. Like, and sometimes it was the biggest hat that, you know, like my hat is bigger than your hat, you know, but in a very kind competition. Though, mm-hmm. you know? In but, an exciting way that yeah. was fun for everyone. Yeah, yeah. So did you help your grandmother? Like, was there a point where you started, you stopped observing and started participating? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I probably nine, 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she starts to let me have an opinion. Like, I'm like, no, wear this necklace, please. Grandma, wear this necklace, you know. This necklace is better or these shoes are better. And, you know, even if they weren't better, she would just wear them. And I think that encouragement was something that I didn't even realize what was going on, but she was letting me create in a way really early. That's so beautiful. That's a good tip for, um, I'm thinking about Sly. 
because he helps me get dressed a little bit. And sometimes I'm like, I'm not wearing that. It's crazy choice. <laughs> so maybe I just got to like look yeah. like crazy sometimes so Let that he it. feels encouraged. Well, just thinking about her process reminds me so much of like a fitting and the prep before you get ready for an event. Like it really is the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The same. That's beautiful. So then you started, you had a vintage store, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. what was that like journey like from being, I'm picturing like you as a child watching mm -hmm. your grandma and then you started your vintage store, mm -hmm. which kind of blew up. It's all my grandmother, honestly, because after church, we would go to thrift stores. Mm. She called it junkin'. She's like, we're going to go junkin' at the church. And we did it like every Sunday. Like literally, she'll get up, she'll put something in a slow cooker, get dressed, we go to church, we go to the thrift store. And I used to hate it at first. Like, I'm like, you know, I was a kid, I was like, this is so embarrassing. But she loved knickknacks and and plates and salt and pepper shakers. And, and you know, that, that was her joy, you know. Tchotchkes. Yeah. Yeah. My grandmother was always a foster mom. Like, so she... That was her thing because she she couldn't have kids because she was my grandfather's wife, but she loved kids. So my whole childhood, I grew up with all these different kids that she fostered. And because she gave so much of herself to that, I think the thrift store and the things were her way of having something for herself. And I hated it at first. And then, then it became a, like a treasure hunt. Like I can find all type of old toys and all that. So fast forward, so when I was in my um, late teens, early 20s, I um, I rediscovered it in a, in a way. And I just started to go, and it was so therapeutic and it was also nostalgic because when I was there, I just remembered her, you know what I mean? I, almost to the point where I could smell her perfume. Mm. And so I just kept going and, and then I started to find joy in finding little things, right? And I started to collect these amazing clothes and bags and, you know, Brazilian leather shoes. And I just started having all this stuff. And one day, one of my best friends, girlfriends, she saw something and she was like, I'm buying that from you. Wow. And so that's that's what birthed the business. And how old were you then? We were still in or coming out of college, so maybe so 20, you were 21, young. 21, 22. Yeah. But that's amazing. So entrepreneurial of you yeah. to be like, okay, I'm going to turn this thing I'm passionate about yeah. into a business. Yeah. I started to get all these calls from stylists like all over the world, like, oh, is this the shop that Kanye was at? And do you have this? Or you have anything from the 70s? Or like, I'm looking for this for, you know, for a client, like all over the world. And I'm just like, I knew what a stylist was, right? But I didn't know that it was really like a viable career. You know, I thought it was like a couple special people in the world that did this job. So I'm like, you know what? I'm a fucking stylist, you know? Damn. So that was the moment that when the, the store moment. blew up. You were like, okay, these people are calling me. Yeah. And you thought, all right, I'm going to do this. Yeah. So how did you start doing that? So I used to come to New York a lot um, to hang out with my friends. And I met somebody at a party and my friend introduced it and it was like, oh, Law, you're so cool. What do you do? I'm like, I'm a stylist. I'm like, oh, really? My friend at Atlantic Records is actually looking somebody for a stylist to work with one of her artists or whatever. So they're like, are you local? And I kind of didn't know what that mean. I was just like, yeah, yeah Oh my God, I'm I local. love it. <laughs> I'm local. And so they asked my friends, I was like, what does that mean? They was like, stupid. That means, are you local in the city? And I was like, <laughs> oh. And so I remember taking a meeting, coming, going back home, and they like, oh, could you come meet with us tomorrow? I'm like, sure. So I spent so much money on plane tickets because I was lying and said that I was oh local. Oh my God, you're like, yeah, I live in Brooklyn or yeah. whatever, yeah, oh my God. You're like, yeah, no, the commute was fine. Yeah, it was easy. easy, took the train. And so 
that didn't turn pan into anything. But then she called me again, and so I started working with um, this R and B singer. Her name is K Michelle. She was literally my first paying client. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I love this. Like this is the backstory for me. So obviously, you've built this incredible career. I feel. You know, there aren't that many stylists I know in the industry who have built a name for themselves and a brand for themselves. And I think just listeners are going to want to hear a little bit about your opinions about celebrity styling. I want to know who is an unsigned style icon that doesn't get the credit they deserve? Or so who's somebody that you look at and you're like, that's fly and people don't recognize them enough? So for me on every mood board it is Cher, Grace, Rihanna. I actually walked in a show with my favorite model, who's also always on my mood board, Omira. You know, I've been around every celebrity. I don't ever freak out, but I saw her walking Nina Ricci, and then they lined us up next to each other at Hugo Boss, and I was like, freaking the fuck. Did you out. introduce yourself? Absolutely. And was she was I, she like excited? She was so she was she knew who mm, I was, which was cool. yeah. And then I was just like. You don't understand. I remember your photo shoot and vibe, and you were back. You had you were like looking over your shoulder. You had the back tattoo, and and I remember you did this interview. You were like sixteen, and I was just like, shit. I didn't mean to do all that, but she it was, she was really flattered. I by was gonna it. say, I bet she yeah. was so flattered. She by was it. so cool. Yeah, she was. Was so this cool. recent? The show? This was you. This just happened. Okay, and this Miami. is the show yeah, you just yeah, walked in. Yeah, I just in. walked in. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like you went from stylist to model like uh, in a day. You know, you you just said you made a joke about being out of work. I'm like, you're not out of work. You're already modeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was so grateful to the boss team because they asked me to do that a while ago, and it it came right at a point because I was feeling really low, really low, and it came at a point. And we had such a good time and the show was so fabulous. And I'm like, I'm literally walking in the show with one, my favorite model of all time and two, Naomi Campbell. Like, mm. are you serious? Wow. I Who you styled that. too, Naomi. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've worked with Naomi before, yeah. We will be right back with La Roach. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Let's talk about being really low because one thing I have to say, this is something I've noticed in my own life and career. People have this perception of like, you're really killing it. They see what you post on Instagram, they see your work and they're like, oh my God, this person must be just so happy, perfect, whatever. And I feel like you had so many huge moments in the past two weeks, right? You had Fashion Week, you had Vanity Fair, Hunter looked <laughs> I loved her in the Andy Mielmeister. Oh my God, what a moment. And then this post comes out and I want to talk about a little bit the like reality versus what you see yeah, and yeah. the perception of yeah. people thinking, oh my God, this person has it all. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to really share that because at that moment, well, leading up to that, honestly, the last couple weeks, I realized that I was unhappy, you know, and I think so I have a, a, a personal assistant. Um, she's an older lady that she comes out, like she literally like, my mom passed away years ago. So she's literally like a mother figure to me. And she, when I'm leaving, 
she packs my bags and she puts and she loves clothes. She loves fashion. And she puts all these outfits together and all these shoes and all that. And I say, B, I'm not gonna wear any of that. She was like, no, you have to. You have to get up every morning and put on an outfit and put on a scarf and the shoes. And you have to carry your bags. When are you gonna carry this Birkin? And you know, <laughs> she loves it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I said, it's not as fabulous as you think it is. From the outside looking in, it, the, our world, our it's like it's perfect, right? But it's it's made to look perfect. That's the point because this thing, this perfection that we give, is our way of entertaining everybody who's paying attention to us. But that's what it is: it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. And over this last maybe two or three weeks, I realized I'm like, fuck, I'm miserable. Oh my god! Like, when did that hit you? What was the moment? I, I just woke up one day and. I've been dealing with a lot of anxiety, like crippling anxiety, honestly. And I'm like, why? I know how to do this job. It's the only thing I know how to do. But, and then I started to realize like, I'm not in a relationship. I have never been in a relationship. This last eight, nine years, my focus has only been my career, blinders on like, so I lost a lot of friends. And then my friends don't live the same type of lifestyle. So we can't, I can't plan a trip with them. They're like, oh, we're going to go to Miami. I'm like, if I'm not working, I'll come. But usually I'm working. Yep. And my business is so big that it's it's all I do. It's all I have. And I woke up and I was just like, you know what? I've been... And then you start to think about every, all these experiences. I'm like, you know what? I've been miserable and unhappy for a long time. And I've been pretending to be perfect. You know? I think about how you call yourself an image architect and I'm thinking about the image that we create, you know, with social media and with the world, not just with clothes and styling. Mm-hmm. And it can sometimes be, it can just be surface level. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of something that people don't know. Yeah. I have a question. <laughs> when you have a moment like with Hunter or Wiz and Daya, you had these past couple weeks yeah. where they just look incredible, the internet breaks. What does that feel like for you? Is it gratifying for you or is it not gratifying enough? So it's definitely gratifying because my ultimate goal is, is I don't set out like, oh, we're going to break the internet, you know, whatever. My goal is when you look at those girls and those look, when you, when you look at Hunter on the carpet, the video, and you see her throw her train back and get into her, that's my joy. That's my drug. Like literally that's my heroin. You know, like it, does everything for me. Or Zendaya with the the vintage, uh, the archival Versace, and she was planning her hair. And it's like, I I feel good because I know that I played a part of them feeling that way. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love. And that part of the job, I love. It's less about the validation. It's about seeing the person that you have a connection with feel themselves and embody this mm-hmm. character it's, that it's, you guys have created. It's the same way I looked at my grandmother when she zipped up her dress and put her pearls on to go to church, right? Mm-hmm. It's that, like, I love women. I love women. I don't love women as much to to feel like I want to be a woman mm-hmm. or that I want to fuck a woman, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I love them in a way that is you are on a pedestal. There is nothing greater in the universe than a woman to me. And to know that I have that, that I have a little part of not only making them feel a certain type of, type of way, but the women I work with being a part of their legacy, it's incredible to me. So that's the part of the job that you love and that's so fulfilling and it's what obviously yes. brought you into it, right? But this is the feeling you had with your grandma. What's the shit that you can't stand? Everything else, the the politics, the the 
the trying to be controlled by teams, you know, handlers, gatekeepers, you know, it's that part I don't like. What do you mean by gatekeepers for people who aren't in the industry, like just to explain? So gatekeepers are um, managers and publicists and agents and all of the people. I mean, we all, like when you get to a certain level, you have a team around you and it's all these people who maybe or maybe not part of decision making. And for me, I am very sure of my work. And so I, I don't like when there's someone else making decisions about or weighing in about clothes other than me and my client. Now, if you're in a fitting, I do like, what do you think about this? And I give power to people and let them show their opinion. But at the end of the day, the decision is between me and whoever the client is. Of course. Yeah. So basically too many cooks in the kitchen. Correct. And then what about fashion shows and fashion brands? Like what what do you feel? Because I, you know, I go to those shows and I have the same feeling. Like it's this quick thing. I saw you at Luave. Like, yes. You know, you have this literally what 30 minutes and it seems like this big glamorous event and it's really that's not what it's like in person you know it's stressful as hell because like you say you it's all this preparation and don't be running late you are literally having an anxiety attack i remember on a rachel zo show years ago when she missed mark jacobs <laughs> and so in my head well, I was like, mark starts right on time mark starts on time mm-hmm. and no Mark's, matter what yeah you know you had an anxiety i was like ah to be, I don't want to be Rachel when she missed Mark Jacobs. So you're like mad dashing to get to your seat, and it's it's a lot of it's a lot of anxiety. And what about working with the brands? Because I feel like you, you know, again, you're not just a stylist. You're not somebody who's calling PR and pulling. You are La Roche, like you are your own brand and company. So I almost feel like when you work with brands, you I I think you should be treated as a collaborator and respected as such. Have you found that? Um, for the most part, yeah. For the most part, I've had nothing but really positive experiences with collaborating, especially on custom things. Like, I am at a place where I can, um, like for for Hunter's look, you know, I was literally on the phone with them like, I have to have this. Mm-hmm. So they put somebody on a plane with the look to make sure that I got it. And I'm different in a way. It's kind of crazy because I, I'm a dreamer at night, daydream, and I can see like the look. I can see the full look. I I can tell you, this is what the hair should be. This is what the makeup should be. This is the way you should present it, present these clothes on the carpet. Like it all comes to me in a dream. And it's because of that, because my process is so organic and spiritual in a way, like it drains me. So in my post, when I say my cup is empty, it it takes so much out of me to to do that. And and I, I, you know, all times in like, calling people trying trying to get these clothes because I see them and I need to have them because I see it in my head. And I'm literally 90% always spot on when I dream about something. Mm-hmm. And that look, they was like, Law, we're gonna get it to you, don't worry about it. And they flew it in and somebody was ringing my doorbell at like midnight on Saturday. And it was, and. <laughs> and so you don't even need to see the woman in the clothes. You already have seen it in your head. I've seen it. I mean, you know, for the most part, yeah. when we go to Affinity, we put it on, it's like, that's it. Of course. Yeah. Well, you have to realize it, but yeah. Yeah. you already knew that was the one for Hunter. Uh-huh. That was the closing look of Anne, right? Um, no, it was in the middle. Okay. It was in the middle, okay. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I forgot what look it was, but yeah. So you said everything else. I'm like curious, what else? Like, what are the other things that people, I feel like this is an opportunity for you to be like, these are the things that people don't know about the industry that are difficult and are hard and are 
taking the joy from from yeah. you from it? I am very opinionated and strong-willed because um, I've always had to be. You know, I always had to be tough. Like, I was always a very feminine boy. My last name is Roach. You know what I mean? So you could imagine kids are cruel. You know what I mean? Like, I always had to fight off the bullies, you know? And so I've always been really, really strong and tough. And so that carried and came with me into this industry. So if I feel... Um, if I feel like somebody's trying to control me or I also have this thing where people will will lie, like, oh, we couldn't get in contact with him. I'm like, that's not true. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so it's that, that was the lies part of it. And the false narrative part of it is people are like, when you become successful and you don't take bullshit from people, then the first thing they say is, he's difficult, you know? And- Well, especially I would imagine as a black person or as a woman yeah. or a marginalized person. Yes, yeah. absolutely. White man saying that's very different. Very very different. They're and I was a good the business next, person, right? I also had to fight really hard to be respected in this industry because I've never existed. You know, there was no reference point for me to look at someone who looked like me who had a, the career that I have. You know, now I get to be the reference point for so many other people, which is probably one of the reasons that kept me around so long, you know, because it's overwhelming for me to to see people, and I'm gonna cry probably. I've been so emotional this last week. To to all the people and all the love, like in Miami, people were like like the dressers, the wardrobe dressers, the model. They were literally crying when they saw me, and I'm like, it's stars here, you know what I mean? And people were like, please don't leave. You mean so much, but like I'm inspired. And then they start telling the stories, and they like, well, you said this this one time, and it changed my life. And even last night at Valentino dinner, like these people. Um, like the top clients and the top clients like you don't know how inspired I drove all the way from Pennsylvania to come to this and it was just like me meaning so much to so many people is incredible and I think that I have to figure out a way where I can still be inspirational and give people that and pour into those people and not to you know the industry or to clients really well take care of yourself while also still being this figure that can be inspiring to people yeah. which is important what about the community like you live in LA I, mm -hmm. I read something that said you know you never want to be in the party scene in LA I'm the same way and it's weird you know I've, I feel like I've been in the industry for a long time now and I'm only just building relationships and friendships with mm -hmm. people because it's not as warm and fuzzy as everyone thinks right no I think you are if you're not relevant nobody cares like for a stylist, I'm only as good as my last look, honestly. And if you think or believe anything else, you're going to get hurt because like I can literally, I quit this job or whatever. So I don't know, I could probably go to Fashion Week next week and like people don't even speak to me. You know what I mean? Like you don't know because that's the way this industry is. You, you have to be able to give somebody something in order for them to be nice to you. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. I feel like that's kind of the worst part of the industry, for me at least, is there's just such a surface level, like um, transactional relationships only mm -hmm. instead of just warmth and like we're all in this together and, you know, let's have fun at this party versus look each other up and down and see who we can work in the room. Exactly. Well, well said. <laughs> I mean, I see it. And I'm like, man, can't we just have some fun? Yeah. Like, oh. I really, truly am just at a place now where I'm like, if somebody gives me that vibe, you know, I feel like culturally we're past the mean girl thing, but we're not. No, you know? no, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely. not. People know that that's not cool, but they still do it. We're going to get into that a little bit more with law right after this break. 
Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Okay, so you talked a little bit about your personal relationships and never having a relationship. I'm newly single. I'm like, I don't know if I ever want a relationship (laughs) again. Maybe we're on like opposite ends of the spectrum. So you work so much and I know you have nieces, right? So are you hoping to spend more time with them? What are you hoping for your personal life? So I I lost my nephew. I'm so sorry. Two years ago, the day before Thanksgiving, he was three. um, And he he fell out of their apartment window and I think that's when the shift for me started to started to happen. Priorities, family, because I had literally only got to really see my nephew maybe four times in his three years because of work. And the guilt of that, you didn't even get a chance. You didn't get a chance to hold him enough. You didn't get a chance to kiss him and, and tell him you love him and enough so that was really tough for me i went i had never been depressed in my life and i went through a bout of really really strong depression now to answer your question that is the priority to me like i'm with them every chance i get where do they live they live in chicago and so sometimes when i come to new york for work i'll rent like a big stupid hotel suite and just let them just fuck it up you know what i mean like so that I'm taking whatever this transition I'm doing, but that is the priority for me is making sure that I'm around and I'm giving them something and I'm able to teach them, teach them stuff and, you know. Have that connection that you had even with your grandmother. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so, I'm just so sorry to hear that. How old are your nieces? Um, So they're nine, five, and four. Oh my God, fun. So much fun. (laughs) A lot of work, I'm sure. It's so fun. And the five-year-old runs everything. Wow. (laughs) Like, she is the, it's her way. Like, they are so, they're so funny. And they have iPhones and they FaceTime me whenever they want. Cute. Yeah. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. It is hilarious. Mm -hmm. And what about romantically? Um, there's <laughs> dating's hard. <laughs> Finding I, someone's hard. No, you know, I first of all, I am not on purpose. I am very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when I'm in my full law roach, like the hair and the clothes, and also super. I was super focused on getting the job done. So even if I, even if there was someone flirting with me, I would have never known. You know, so focused somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And I, when I'm in an airport, you know, I mean, we being whisked through the airport. So it's like I don't go out. I don't have friends. Like I, I'm not ever. Don't ever feel like I'm the person that can date or slide into somebody's DMs. Like that still feels weird to me, which I know it shouldn't because that's what people do in the world. But yeah, it's just like love was never a priority. But then I also didn't grow up seeing romantic love. My mom was never in a relationship. She was. Mm-hmm. My dad, and they were never actually together, but he was the only man she ever loved her entire life. And he was married, you know? So I just didn't see that. So it's never been a priority for me. Right, because you were, it wasn't like, oh, I have this dream of something that I saw when I was younger. And you don't miss what you've never had. Right. Yeah. So are you interested in it now or? You know, I said that I was going to open my heart to the possibility and because I I am a manifester and I believe the universe puts things in your life exactly when you're supposed to have it. And I'm like, so universe, if 
love is what you um <laughs> what you have for me and already and then i end up meeting this guy and that turned into a disaster <laughs> i was like oh this is why i don't do this really so there yes. was somebody in no this, oh. this is really recent okay. and i met i was like okay universe i see you telling me don't and, do this and then we yeah. had we had a, a conversation and he told me 35 years old great job handsome he said Oh, my family don't know about that. Mm. I s what? What do you mean? Like, <laughs> you are a really exceptional person in that, like, you are very brave in so many ways, and think that might be hard to find in yeah. a partner. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I was just like, and he wrote me, and I was just like, you know what? If I'm gonna have, if I'm going to love someone, I want to love them and then love me in front of the world, mm -hmm. right? in front of the world. I was like, and if that's something that you're not willing or you're not ready for, then it was good meeting you. But I'm not doing that. I feel sorry for him. I do too, actually. Yeah, really that's sorry. really sad. But I also understand, you know, family and all of that, like it can be very, very tough. Yeah. But it sounds like you have never, I mean, I'm sure you've dealt with it, but you have pushed past that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we'll see. Maybe you'll be falling in love soon. This makes me think of just the kind of authentic sides of you. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that has helped you both kind of personally, but also professionally? Or do you think it has hurt you? No, I think I think I am here because of my authenticity. Mm -hmm. I've never tried to change. Like, I, I'm from really from the streets of Chicago, and I have a strong regional dialect and I say shit wrong all the time. You know what I mean? The grammar isn't. And I, when I came to Hollywood, I thought that I had to be somebody else. Like I literally thought I had to be Rachel Zoe. I was like, oh my God, it's bananas. Like, like <laughs> I swear for like a week. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, that is not who you Only are. Only a week is pretty good. You figure yeah. that out Oh fast. no, I figure shit yeah. out real fast. <laughs> but yeah, and it's, I think my authenticity, because again, I've never existed in this space you know, ever, you know? And so I definitely a thousand percent know me being my true self has gotten me here. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about people who are listening who are very inspired by you. Like, what would be your advice? What would you say to somebody who looks at you and thinks like, God, how do they do that? How do they build this career? What do you think it's about being yourself, being your authentic self? What do you, what's the trick? I Manifesting, think, I feel like you brought up a lot of things. Yeah, I think it's, it's all of that, right? It's, this is gonna sound so cliche, but believing in yourself, it's real. It is absolutely real. And if you break it down to, to, the, to the smallest thing, if you think about the, the nursery rhyme, the little engine that could, right? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, and eventually you will. It's about believing in yourself and being confident in your belief. My God, I think about, you know, how basic that seems, but how hard it is. And the truth is, is everyone else is gonna doubt you. Yeah. So if you don't believe in yourself, especially when you're first starting out anything, then like, absolutely no one else will. If you don't buy it, even just lie to yourself, you know? Fake it till you make yeah. it. That's mm -hmm. how we, that, me and saying I was a stylist and taking these meetings, I didn't know anything. Zendaya always tell the story. She's like, girl, when you first started working with me, you didn't even have safety pins. Oh like, my God. I didn't know anything. I was green. I was literally faking it till I make it. Like she says that story all the time. She's like, you think you're so successful. She's like, you didn't even have safety pins. How, like, long, that is how, how long have you guys been working together? We've been working together. So I always say that my career started in 2014 when I moved to LA. 
But I was working with Zendaya a couple years prior to that. Like, again, lying, going mm -hmm. back and forth. I love it. Yeah. Talk about fake it till you make it. Yeah, fake it till you mm -hmm. make it. Um, so I've been with her for 11 years now. So how did she react to this news? It was tough for her. Okay, so Zendaya, it's four of us. It's Zendaya, her assistant Darnell, her niece, and myself. We are her core. Mm -hmm. We are her core. And so she called. She said, girl, I thought we'd make big decisions together. So you posted it before you talked <laughs> to her? I told her you posted it before I talked Shit. to her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what did she say? Was she... She, you know, she... Of course, she support me. She's like, "Do you need me to send you on a vacation? Like, tell me what, tell me what you're going through." And I, you know, talk to her about, you know, just being unhappy and being unhappy for a really long time and still grieving the death of my nephew. So we had that talk, and she was like, "Whatever you need, whatever you need." That's beautiful. But the internet is cruel. The internet is cruel. The internet is really cruel. So people started to blame her. Mm for my retirement and um, that wasn't fair to her. And the things they were saying, of course, isn't true. So then it spilled over to my suffering. She started to suffer too. Um, and I didn't, think, I didn't think that was fair because she has always protected me in this industry and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you kind of like tried to protect her in the in the wake of all of that because I feel like the internet was examining every single little video, yeah. every little interaction and coming up with analysis that it's so hard. I like I I see the TikTok sometimes yeah. of shit and I'm like, I understand from this 10 second clip why you think what you do, yeah. but it is not reality. And if you saw the 35 second clip, <laughs> you would understand that. Or if you were in that room. Yeah. You know, when I'm working, I'm working. I'm not when I'm with my clients, I am law the stylist. I am, it's not about me at all. But I do forget that sometimes I am a public figure and people are watching me just like they watch the, watching my clients. And that clip, it was just, first of all, the show was just chaotic and we were really, really, really late. Uh, we got caught like behind a, a car. It was just weird. Like, and it was, so we were rushing and I just did not know where I was sitting. And she wasn't Which, by telling the way, me. It's totally normal for yes. a fashion show. For Especially the record. when you're late. They'll yes. sit you, they'll just sit you wherever you they can find you a seat. But I had a seat and the seat that she pointed to, that was Darnell, which is her assistant. That was his seat. And so she was like, we were both actually standing. And so she was like, Darnell, like, that's your seat. And then they came and was like, Law, you need to sit. I was like, Well, you can tell me where I'm sitting. Yeah, of course. Right. You know, and I wasn't that hectic trying. moment, too, of right. trying to, yeah, yeah. But it felt like I was like, Move over, Emma Roberts. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, move over, Delphine Arnaud. Like, no, I was not, you know, and she wasn't either. So, yeah. Those fashion shows are, they look really glam, but they can be such a mess. Such a mess. It's like, it looks like 15 seconds before the show starts, it looks like it'll never come together because yes. everyone's just wandering. And, you know, everybody, every celebrity brings a person with them or yeah. multiple people, and it can be hard to figure out where they sit. Yeah. So I have to say for the record, as a totally normal, <laughs> totally, totally normal, normal. thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I understand yeah. the context of people yeah. trying to figure out what It was crazy. They was like, he left. He did. They didn't have a seat for him. And so he just left the show. And then you, if you actually watch some of the footage, you're like, I had a bright yellow suit on. Okay. Right. I was there. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Of course. I wanted to ask you about your fallout with Tiffany Haddish. Have you guys spoken recently? I'm, I want to do an episode about friend breakups because I feel like we never talk about that. 
We're good. Actually, she was um, she was hosting the boss show, and her dressing room was right next to mine. But prior to that, she texted me and just like, I miss you so much. I love you. I totally understand. Because part of our breakup was the gatekeepers that were around her. It was the, her team, you know? And so, um, yeah, we're, we're really good. Like, And then we went to the party, and we had a drink, and we danced. And yeah, we're really good. But like, I don't. I, I made it when I, first thing I learned in this business that your clients aren't your friends and neither are a lot of people. But so I always had a rule and I teach my assistants and people I mentor, yes, you're gonna say you love them and yes, they're gonna say they love you, but you have to understand you are in the service business and you are the nanny, the chef, the gardener, the personal assistant, there's no difference that is not your friend. And Tiffany was one of the rare cases that she actually became my friend. So when we went through what we went through, it was really difficult to me because I had also broke my golden rule. And so I felt like stupid. Because then the personal is mixed in with the yeah. professional. Yeah, because if it's professional, it don't work out fine. But yeah. when it's real, like real love, like, like come sleep on my sofa, you going through something with your boyfriend, come let me cook. Like, it was that type of shit, mm -hmm. that friendship, which I don't do. Right, don't like a do. real close, yeah. like, family almost. Yeah. But I feel like you do have that with, I mean, you and Z have worked together for almost yeah. 10 years. Like, no, Z, that's different. Yeah. That's my sister. Right. We have grew up together, you know. Like, in the beginning, it was, like, me, her, and her dad, like, doing everything. Like, I was on the phone with magazines. Like, I was the publicist, the stylist. He was the manager, you know. So that's... That relationship is different, you know. That relationship is, she's the one called like, now you know you need to grow up. You know what I mean? And I'll call wow, her and be like- I love it. And I'll call her and just be like, girl, stop playing. You know what I mean? Like, That's it's so beautiful. That, yeah. I honestly think that shows up in the carpet looks you guys do because the collaboration is so seamless. Like the way she wears the clothes, it doesn't feel like she got dressed. You know what I mean? By someone, like it feels like her, with this like beautiful vision and it and it works so seamlessly. So it makes she, sense. We, in the beginning of our relationship, we made a vow to each other that we would do everything we possibly could to elevate each other. And my job, it's so funny, because we call ourselves big idea, small detail. Mm. So I'm the big idea. Like I live in this fantasy world and I think bring her these things and she pulls it together, you know? And then my job is to create this narrative and tell her, what it is and who this girl is and she goes on the carpet and she be and she just becomes that you know yeah you have the vision and then she takes on the character uh-huh oh, yeah and, but that beautiful. was our relationship yeah i wanted to talk about legendary mm -hmm. because i was so disappointed when that got canceled i mean is that part of like why you're like fuck this industry no yeah let not that you're saying that but yeah. so legendary pop culture has stolen so much from ballroom um, from the ballroom country because it had been underground for so long. And I think Legendary gave so many people, well, it's on your TV, so to, the, to get into and to learn about that culture. And if you think about the the words and the, the slang people use, all that is from let ballroom, you know, what's tea and all those things that we are saying, the music, you know, Beyonce's album and it's, sampling people from ballroom and she put a lot of ballroom stars and DJs on her album, right? So it's like, I feel like that it was, they canceled that show at the wrong time, mm -hmm. you know? And it, it what it feels like to me is we're taking, 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 taking and not giving back 
again, like there you go again. You know what I mean? Like these the these thing. people sitting at in these moments, like oh well, we had enough of the of that gay ballroom, that gay under ballroom show. So let's move on. And I just think it's it was the wrong time. That show changed people's lives. People who are on that show are working and touring, and production companies now. It's like those kids have taken that opportunity and and just ran with it and have changed their lives. And they came from un being underground to mainstream and they're in like commercials and Honey Balenciaga, I just, I think I saw her in W and you know, it's changed people's lives. And I wish we had the opportunity to change more lives, but they took that away from us. Ugh, it's so unfortunate. It is so true. I feel like Gen Z internet culture is just like such a lar large part of it is an appropriation of queer and black culture. And you see it on TikTok and you yeah. see everything. And a lot of people don't recognize that and don't give credit to where it's due. And I think as being black, if people would just say, I am so inspired by your culture and this is why I'm talking like this, or this is why my neck is moving like that. We all know where it came from, just say it. Well, and also lift up the people who are yes. the originators. Yes. Lift up the people who are invisible. And that was an opportunity, the show was an opportunity. Yes. You said you were the Simon Cowell of yes. that show. Yes. What do you think about, why do you think constructive criticism is so important? It's very important. And I'm, again, going back to the authenticity of who I am, it's just like, I'm very quick with, I'm, Conti, mm -hmm. I am super Conti, you know, and and I think, you know, my critiques, although they seem harsh sometimes, you know, it was real. And those people, I see those people all the time, they're like, girl, you read me for filth, but you were right, you know, so. Because they grew from it. Yeah, they grow from it. And, you know, and it's also television. Like, yeah. it's, we are getting paid to entertain people. And that part of it, there's always a Simon Cowell when you got a, a, a cast of somebody. Somebody's Paula, always. Somebody's <laughs> Randy, always. Mm -hmm. And somebody's Simon. And and me, because I just, everything you hear me say is literally at that moment. And so if I say something or the way I say it, it's just, it comes out for, you know. But I'm cunty, you know. I was just gonna um, show you the sticker on my phone, cunt. <laughs> so I represent cunt yes. as well. What about constructive criticism for you? Like being on the other side of constructive criticism, how has that come into your life? What's that been like? Because it's one thing to dish it out. It's another thing to take it. I take it very well. First of all, I'm not reading every comment. Like, I don't care. Like, especially my what my clients, my girls, especially since they are like, we don't care if somebody don't like anything. Like, we literally do that shit for us. Like, our whole career, we it's how it makes us feel and the byproduct is that it makes other people happy and people talk about it but really our whole thing is like us you know but when i am and i do and she is the one who pulls me to the side sometime and say you know you could do better you mm -hmm. know and she and she also criticizes my work like she'll call she like girl don't you think and you wow. know but when i when it's she also compliments it like after um Vanity Fair, she called, she said, you had one of the best nights of your career. She That's was like, amazing. everybody was major. Mm -hmm. and, and that feels good. But yeah, I'll take, I'll take criticism. Mm -hmm. yeah, you have to. Of course, I agree. Next chapter, what can we expect from you next? Well, you can expect for not to hear or see from me for a long time. Um, I'm, I, I'm figuring out, but I had a book deal that I haven't had a chance to write a page. I have a, a shopping deal for to, to write something with a, a really big pro, um, production company. Um, there's all these other things that I just haven't had time to do. 
I just got appointed as a creative director of a of a shoe brand, Italian okay. shoe brand. Congratulations. Thank you. So that hasn't been announced yet. So I, now I feel like I have time to like take a, a beat and then go and try all these other things. And if I fail and it doesn't work out, I'm a good stylist. I can always come back. Do you think you're going to miss it? Uh, absolutely. Well, I hope that we bring you back. I hope that we bring you back because um, I want your happiness, number one. Yeah. But I personally really love seeing what you dish out. And um, I'm just a big fan and I appreciate you doing this so much. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. All right, everyone. That was Law Roach coming to you before he goes into hiding um, and gets some much needed personal time and works on some projects that are a little bit more private. And um, I feel like he just gave us so many insights into the industry and into what his experience has been in the last, you know, 10 years as a queer black man, but also just, you know, a lot of really great advice. I was thinking about if I was a young person who was interested in becoming a stylist, I feel like he gave us, um, you know, so many lessons, not just from being a stylist, but things I also believe and preach about manifesting, fake it till you make it, really good advice. So I'd love to hear all of your thoughts on what Law had to say today. Go to hilo.fm, submit your audio recordings. I will use them for the subscriber episode, Talk Back, later in the week. Thank you for listening. I will see y'all on Thursday. High Low with M. Rada is a Sony Music Entertainment, Bitch Era Media, and Something Else production. Our executive producers are me, Emily Radikowski, and Sarita Wesley. And our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh. Thanks for listening.